This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investor Mindsetters, welcome back to another great episode. Just finished up interviewing Greg Dickerson, who is an incredible investor and leader. Um, We're going to get into his story and how he went from growing up, learning so much from his family and their experience, joining the Navy and then starting multiple businesses. And he is an incredible leader. And he talks about some of those strategies of leadership, how you can be a, a fantastic leader and how you can have the right mindset to kind of keep going on that path. So before we jump into this episode, as always, I'm going to ask everyone, please, you know, head over, you know, if you're enjoying what you're listening, make sure you hit the subscribe button, drop us five stars on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts and drop a written review. Let us know what you think and uh, let us know what you love about the the podcast thus far. And if you haven't already head to the investormindset.com to join the insider club, we have a very special announcement uh, that is going to be available to Mindset uh, Insiders. Free tickets to the Investor Mindset Summit, which is going to be a digital summit held on November 1st and November 2nd. It's going to be super fun. We've got some incredible speakers, people that you know, you love, that you've already heard here on the podcast, and some new folks that you haven't heard yet. And we're going to be giving away free tickets to everyone who's on the InvestorMindset.com mailing list. Everyone who's already participating and is an insider is going to get access to those. So make sure you head there. And without further ado, let's jump into this episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am really excited. As always, I have Greg Dickerson in the studio today. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing great, Stephen. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing really well. So Greg is a serial entrepreneur, real estate developer, coach, and mentor and has over 20 years of experience. He's been buying, developing, and sold over $250 million in real estate. He's built and renovated hundreds of custom homes and commercial buildings, and he started 12 different companies from the ground up. You know, He's been a guest commentator on Fox Business and the Dave Ramsey Show and so many others, and he served in the United States Navy right out of high school and has always been a leader in the community. And now he's bringing that same leadership to the real estate community and helping others achieve their goals. You ready to get into this, Greg? I'm ready, man. Let's do it. All right. Well, with a track record like that, you've clearly (laughs) lived and had quite the experience. But why don't we start out by taking a look back? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? You know, so my dad was military, so I grew up with a very strict military, disciplined environment, and I was a natural-born entrepreneur. So I was one of those kids that would run around the neighborhood, knock on your door and say, you know, hey, my name's Greg. I live down the street. I need to make some money. What do you need done? I'll do anything. I'll cut your grass, rake your yard, wash your car, babysit your kids. I just, I'm just, I need to make money, you know? And so I was just kind of wired that way. So door-to-door sales, right? You know, going, knocking on doors. And my dad, what I didn't realize at the time, it used to tick me off. So he kept a ledger of every penny he gave me as a kid. So I never, he never gave me money. He lent it to me. So he would keep a ledger of every dollar he gave me. And then whenever I would take the lawnmower and use it, I would have to pay him rent for the lawnmower and gas and oil and all that. So he would take a percentage of my earnings and then he would apply whatever of the earnings to what I owed him. And then I would be able to keep what was left over. So he taught me at a very young age, you know, about accounting, (laughs) you know, and the cost of doing business. 
Uh, you know, so that was one no hard kidding. work. So I did everything as a child. We, I did all the chores, cut the wood, cut the grass, edge the grass, wash the cars, clean the garage, clean the kitchen. My sister cooked, I cleaned. So you know, my, my dad used to joke, but I think he was dead serious. He used to say we had kids so that we could have our own servants, you know, and, uh, you know, that's why we <laughs> had kids. So they would do everything. And uh, man, we did everything. So I cleaned the pool. I mean, did it all. So hard work and the cost of doing business was ingrained into me at a very young age. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm high energy and, uh, you know, I, I mean, he wasn't a great dad. So, you know, it was an abusive environment I grew up in. He was mean, you know, and angry and he grew uh-huh. up in a bad environment, but he was a military. He went in enlisted, came out an officer. So he, he could work hard. He could focus and he was, he was a go-getter and he'd get it done. So I learned a lot of great lessons in terms of, um, you know, uh, social, um, graces and things like that. And, you know, how to conduct yourself like an officer and a gentleman and all those things. But at the same token, it wasn't a good home life. And he was out to sea a lot. Yeah. When he was home, it was no fun. So, you know, I was kind of a, uh, you know, troubled little kid, got into a lot of trouble, you know, scattered, you know, doing a lot of different things. So I was not a good student. So when I graduated high school, I went right in the Navy. And I'll tell you, that probably saved my life because I went through that process. And even growing up with it, it's even different when you go through it yourself. And the discipline mm-hmm. that that taught me and the lessons that you learn being in the military, and I'm a natural born leader, entrepreneur, so I've always been put in charge. So even in boot camp, I was made a section leader. I didn't volunteer. They just said, hey, you're in charge. You know, they just, you know, you can see certain people in a group and who's a leader and who's not. So I'm always the one that got picked as yeah. captain. I'm always the one that led the team, always the one that got, you know, chosen in the military as a leader of my section, my area, my department, you know, and then even when I got out of the Navy, and uh, worked in the corporate world a little bit in a couple of different jobs. You know, I was a manager, leader, district manager. I mean, it's just kind of how I'm wired. So I think going back to that whole so, military discipline and, you know, understanding uh, social etiquette and how to conduct yourself at all times as a, as a you know, officer and a gentleman, I think have kind of stuck with me the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, that's quite the foundation that you got built right early on in life. And, you know, it sounds like you ran into some, some challenges like we all do some of us worse than others. But when you look specifically at this comment about creating a ledger for every penny that was lent, where do you think that came from, from your father? And uh, it, I mean, it obviously made a huge impact on you, but not everyone has ever had that experience. <laughs> where, where's that from? You know, I don't know. I never asked him why he did it or where it came from. And, uh, you know, he grew up in a very difficult environment. His, his mother was an alcoholic, severe alcoholic, and had he had three different dads, you know, and I he, I remember him telling me stories that he would send paychecks home to his mom when he was in the Navy and that his sister took the money and blew it. So he and his sister didn't have a good relationship and they didn't communicate. And I never met her, you know, um, so maybe it came from that. And, you know, he didn't have anything growing up. He was very, you know, um, they were just getting by, you know, when he was a kid. And then in the military, when you're enlisted in our early years, there's not a lot of money. I mean, you're, you're at the poverty level when you're an enlisted, you know, military mm-hmm. in terms of salary. You get a lot of benefits. And if you're single, yeah. you can live on the ship and eat on the base and all that good stuff. So, but when you have a family and all that, it's very difficult. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, to get by. But once he got into the upper ranks of enlisted and became an officer, then we were, you know, more upper middle class and uh, things changed a little bit. But I think that's it. I think his upbringing of lack and having money that he earned, you know, blown and spent, you know, so he was just trying to teach me the respect, I think, for, for, 
hard-earned money and what it means. Yeah, because it obviously meant a lot to him, right? I mean, he dealt with some challenges of his own growing up, and he definitely learned the wrong way to go about it. But hey, you know, it sounds like it ended up creating this, you know, this burning desire inside of you. How do you think that has played <laughs> becoming an entrepreneur so young into everything that you've done since? And with that base, how did you end up even going into the Navy? Why didn't you just kind of go directly into creating your own? Uh, it was kind of a rite of passage. So every male in my family were military and I love my country. I'm an ardent patriot and I wanted to serve, but I, I didn't want to make a career of it. Uh -huh. I just wanted to do my time, serve. And then, you know, but even now, if we went to war and there was a call to arms, I'm back out there. You know, I will lead the charge. I'll be the first one mm -hmm. on the front of the line on the battlefield leading the troops. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be the guy sitting behind telling everybody to go. I'm going to be out front. Let's do it. Let's take this thing. Let's take this hill. Let's take this beach. So I'm one of those guys. So, you know, I had a strong sense of duty, but I think that was beat into me literally at a young age all the way up. You know, my grandfather was a Pearl Harbor survivor. You know, my dad was career military, my uncle. I mean, everybody I knew that was a male role model-ish in my life were all career military. So it was just a given, you know, and I didn't go to college. I wasn't steered in that direction. Um, you know, and I wasn't a good student, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs don't make great students. So I just wanted to go get the experience and, um, uh, and get out and then do my own thing. So I've always wanted to carve my own path. I just needed to get that out of the way first. And it sounds like that actually ended up laying this foundation of discipline that you really weren't getting elsewhere, even though it sounds like you're in a pretty disciplined home, but to be able to go into an environment where you're surrounded with other people who are all going through the exact same thing at that moment, to be able to kind of lay that foundation uh, has set you up for you know, everything else that you've been done. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know the lessons I was being taught by my dad. And I resented a lot of the things when I was a kid, you know, being forced to do everything. But now when I look back, those are the things that shaped me. I didn't know what he was doing. But when you're in the military, it's different. You listen, you pay attention, and you follow orders. So that's uh -huh. different. So I took the other lessons in and understood where he was coming from and how he was wired and why. Because he was a 20-year yeah. man. And he, he rose yeah. through the ranks very quickly. And he was one of the last few that, that was what's called being frocked from an enlisted man into an officer or enlisted person to an officer. I don't even know if they do that anymore. But um, uh -huh. so it was an interesting, interesting journey for him. And I think, like you said, that shaped a lot of my discipline in terms of, you know, creating a plan and executing it, right? And having redundancies and, you know, so, you know, orderly, efficient military fashion, you know, things like that. So there's a lot of things about the military that, are really, really great. And there's a lot of things about it that aren't. For instance, you know, you can only advance so fast because you just, it's all about time. And, you know, with the stroke of the pen, somebody can ruin your career. So there's a lot of disadvantages to the military, but it does teach you, um, you know, a lot of our business systems that we use come from the military. The military is all about systems, you know, PMS, preventative maintenance system, you know, fire mm -hmm. control systems, you know, everybody has their, you know, teamwork, right? So on a ship, when you're on a ship, you have, um, General quarters, which is your battle station. So everybody's got their job in combat. If a fire breaks out, everybody has their area they go to and they have their role on that team, on that fire control team. And you drill, you drill, you drill. So not only does it teach you systems, you know, redundancy, but it teaches you reps, right? So to be good at anything, you got to mm -hmm. get your reps in. So we drilled, drilled, drilled constantly, constantly, middle of the night, middle of the day, middle, you know, all different hours. So no matter what happens, what environment, and that's what boot camp's all about, right? You see the you see the shows where they rattle the trash can at five in the morning or three in the morning. And they roll people out of their bunks. So the whole point of that is to condition you so that you're ready for anything at any time. 
Well, I mean, yeah, they've they've built up this routine for you so that you can continue to do those reps over and over again. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff really applies to everything in life. I don't think as many people realize how many reps it takes to get really, really good at something. And so what ends up happening is they start kind of down this path. They're not very good when they start and they start getting kind of okay, but they haven't really got the reps in and they give up before they end up getting to that finish line, to that place of being good, being, being, you know, able to lead a team. Like that's tough. Like you have to have that opportunity to give those orders over and over again and, you know, get your reps in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've heard the 10,000 hour rule, um, you know, where you do something for 10,000 hours, you become the world's foremost expert, you know, or you read so many books, you know, all those types of things. And, you know, but all of the great sports, you know, legends that we know, I mean, they're getting reps in, man, they're getting reps, you know, Brady's throwing footballs all day, every day. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I listened to a podcast the other day on, on, uh, one of the shows and there was a major league baseball player and he started as a young kid. He said, I'm going to be a major league baseball player. That's all I'm going to do. His parents gave him a batting cage for his birthday and he hit 200 balls a day. And he said, I just didn't go out there and just swing. He said, I focused, I envisioned myself in the world series in the, you know, ninth inning, two outs, one man on base. And I hit the home run to win the game. And he said, you know, 20 years, you fast forward 20 years. I was in that spot playing against the team I envisioned. I hit the home run that won the game. And, uh, you know, 200 hits a day. You know, he went out to that batting cage and uh, and focused, you know, laser sharp focus, swinging that bat, hitting that ball. Yeah, that's, qu- that's, quite, that's quite the story. Switching gears here a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your primary focus as an investor and what you're spending, you know, a good portion of your time these days doing? So I'm a developer primarily. That's how I started in the business, building, remodeling, and then building new construction and developing commercial and residential and those types of things. So I am primarily a uh, builder developer first and foremost. And uh, so that's what I look for. I look for, you know, I'm opportunistic. I look for heavy value ads. So I like to take old buildings and make them new. Um, I like to build ground up. I like difficult, challenging projects that require, uh, you know, thought, require, you know, um, shifting and pivoting in the middle of the project because you never know what could happen. And, you know, just doing things that are cool, creative, different, unique, you know, stuff like that. So I'm older now. I like bigger deals. I like fewer, bigger deals. And I like to really you know, take on the challenging, you know, difficult projects. Yeah. And that's where, you know, all the return is. It's also where a lot of the risk is, but I suppose after doing this many deals, you've been able to figure out how do I, how do I cap the downside so that I'm not taking on a project where I don't know what the outcome is going to be. So it's, you know, as a developer, it's a risky business, right? It's the riskiest of the Mm -hmm. disciplines, but for me, it's just what I've done and it's what I do. So I, you know, I'm very prudent. I make sure that the numbers work. I make sure that there's demand for what we're creating. And I make sure that we've taken into account all the worst case scenarios. So we run scenario tests, we run stress tests, you know, things like that. And I don't over leverage. Uh, I bring more equity than, mm-hmm. than necessary. And, um, and I get long-term debt locked in after the construction loan period. So we do everything we can. So, you know, I don't use the old build it and they will come. So I'm not going to go out in the middle of a field in Iowa and build something and expect people to come. I'm going to go in downtown, you Uh know, Dallas or Charlotte or, you know, Seattle or somewhere like that where there's going to be demand for what you're doing. So you got to be smart about it. You got to not over leverage. You got to not risk your own capital or equity. You bring on partners that have uh, capital and equity that they want to invest. Um, So those are the ways that you kind of hedge against anything. But, you know, you never know what the economy is going to do. So at the end of the day, you got to be willing to accept the worst case scenario, which is everything blows up, everybody loses their money, 
the deal doesn't work. So you got to be willing to take that risk and accept that loss and failure. So as a developer, that's what you're signing up for. And and what do you do as a developer to keep your mind strong when you're looking at a deal and you're in the trenches? Because I'm sure you've had some deals that have blown up. I'm sure you've had some times in your life where you know stuff has hit the fan and uh, it didn't work out as planned. How do you keep yourself focused in the right direction when things are not going as as you want them to? You just keep going. You know, you just keep doing what you do. You believe in what you're doing. You believe in yourself. And markets are are cyclical. So even though it, it may not be great now, it's going to be great someday. You know, so we've seen it. You know, we've seen it go down. It comes back. We see it go down. It comes back. So those those that's just the nature of the market. The market takes care of itself. You know, it is what it is. At the end of the day, it's real estate. So it's a real property. Uh, and if you focus on the core assets that people need, housing, mm-hmm. healthcare, education, and professional services that cannot work out of their house, you know, if you focus on owning those types of assets and developing those type of assets, you know, and or assets that money is no object, um, then, you know, you're relatively safe. But, you know, when things are going bad, you know, whatever, stuff happens, right? Some days are good, some days are bad, some projects are up, some are down. You just keep plugging and you just keep, you just keep rolling. You know, I mean, it's like the old, old, you know, story about Babe Ruth. You know, he holds the strikeout record. Nobody talks about that. Mm-hmm. They talk about his home run record and they talk about his illustrious career, but he also holds the strikeout record. So, I mean, if Babe Ruth would have quit every time he struck out, there would be no Babe Ruth, right? So as a developer, yeah. you're going to face challenges. You're going to have unforeseen things happen. And to me, that's what excites me because where there's uh-huh. a problem, there's an opportunity. Where there's challenge and stress and test is where you grow and it's how you learn and it's how you become more wise. And then, you know, ultimately you can use that wisdom for the benefit of others in the community around you. I want to point this out for all the listeners because this is really great. And I'm, I'm really excited that, that this just happened. So what we're hearing right now is the mindset of a developer. Greg is telling us that when he goes into a project, he expects things to go wrong. He is prepared for that to happen. And when it does go wrong, he says, this is exactly what I expected would happen. And I'm going to continue to move forward. I'm not going to let it knock me down because it's exactly what I thought was going to be there. I'm actually going to get excited. I'm going to try to change that viewpoint rather than being upset. I'm going to look at this as an opportunity to learn and grow and move forward. And clearly that is why Greg has been able to do so many deals and have so much success. Yeah, and it's it's not only development, but it's business as well. Whether you're buying a company, building a company, whatever you're doing, or you're doing real estate, and development, you're working with imperfect people, imperfect materials, and an imperfect world and environment trying to create perfection. So there's a big distinction I want to make. I expect the unforeseen, and I expect things unknown to surface, but I don't plan for it, and I don't you know, I don't envision it and plan for it in a way that it can hold mm. you back or trip you up. I mm. just know, man, there's no way we can account for everything. There's no way that I can know everything. You know, I don't know if, that it's going to snow 30 days or one day. So I can plan for mm. a couple of weeks of weather delays, but not 30 days that, you know what I mean? So when that happens, mm-hmm. hey man, go play in the snow, have fun, you know, and it's just, it is what it is. So you just, you know, you, you just, so you can't plan for a lot of things, but when they, when they happen, you just, you deal with it and you move on. You know, I had a house that I just completed one time that I was flipping and uh, I went to check on it. It was in the winter. It was, you know, 15 degrees and it was an older house. And I'm like, and I gutted it, redone it. And I'm like, you know, I just want to make sure this thing, pipe doesn't burst, whatever. So I go the night before they just finished the floors. I went in the next morning and, uh, you know, to make sure the floors were dry. So I go around the back of the house and I hear water pouring out of it. And I got my whole family with me and I hear water pouring, mm-hmm. you know, 
water. And I'm like, uh-oh, pipe burst. So I go around the back. I see water pouring out of the house. So I go in the house, and then there's water just pouring out of the sink. So I go down in the basement to shut the water off, and the basement has six inches, eight inches of water in it. Brand new. Brand new carpet, doors, everything. Ruined it all. Right? So mm-hmm. what are your choices at that point? Jump up and down and scream and yell and kick walls in and throw a fit? Or do you turn the water off, get on the horn, call your superintendent, say, hey, man, we got a problem. Need to get, you know, ServPro out here immediately, get this place dried out, turn it around, and, you know, it just, it happens. So you can't account for it, but I knew it was cold. I knew there was a chance, so I stopped by to check on the house, and thank goodness I did, because who knows what more damage it would have done had I not caught it when I caught it. So you went into action mode. You didn't you didn't let it trip you up from the beginning, but you went into action mode and solved the problem when it happened. You didn't beat yourself up over no. it. No. Nor and the big the big example was for the kids, right? Because I mean it was ten thousand dollars it cost to fix that. And just totally out. You know, insurance didn't cover it. It was just ten grand gone. And uh, you know, so the kids were like, Man, aren't you mad? Aren't you this? I'm like, what am I to be mad about? You know, I mean the plumber didn't put the thing on right, the house flooded. What What's getting mad going to do for me? How is that going to move the ball forward? How is that going to better me so that in the future, you know, uh, I can make sure that, you know, this doesn't happen again? So again, you learn from the things that happen that make you better the next time. And you just understand, man, when you're doing those reps, there's going to be a little pain sometimes along the way, and there's going to be a little pain afterwards. But the benefits of those reps are immeasurable lifelong lessons. Yeah. Well, it's really easy to get tripped up in that kind of a moment like that. Oh, yeah. you know, I've had a number of projects that have gone the wrong way. Things didn't go as planned. And, um, you know, I actually have a project exactly like that. We closed on it and the, the homeowner shut off the heat and it was negative 14 degrees in Minnesota. Long story short, three floors of water were running down after it thawed when it actually got warm out. And, you know, it sucked. It was a lot of damage. We had to gut the whole place. But, you know, when it happened, we just looked at it and said, hey, well, what can we do here? There's no, there's, you can't change the situation. It's already happened. Right. Um, we can only move forward. Yeah. When the building's on fire and it's blazing and there's people in there, you don't sit around and figure out what's going on, who did what or how. You go in and you get the people out and you put the fire out. You, you know, like you said, you take action. Maybe that's some military stuff. I don't know because, you know, we did that drill over and over and over. Fire in whatever section, you go to your station and you take action. You don't sit there and figure out who's responsible, what's going on and throw a fit. You take care of it and then you move on. I feel like it's such a good reminder, Greg, because, you know, this happens in everything in life. And, you know, even though I have the same mindset of you on that moment, I fall out of it. You know, emotions get over me and, you know, something happens, you want to react. But it's just sometimes you just need to hear it again and again and again. And from uh, from this perspective, I, I, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. It's pretty cool. And in my companies with my employees, um, whenever something doesn't go the way you plan, I always focus on the action. Right. So I'll say, okay, what happened? And people are like, oh, well, I don't know. They didn't do it. They did. I said, look, I don't care who did it. I want to know what happened so we can fix it and put a system in mm-hmm. place so it doesn't happen again. That's really hard for people to get their mind around. They're like, what do you mean you don't care who did it? I'm like, I don't care who did it. I just want to know what and how so that we can fix it. That's all I want to know. And, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting when you take that perspective and Im- implement something like that in your business, how much more efficient and better you can become and you actually learn from things versus the natural reaction is who did it, get that person, sit them down, ream them out, did it, you know, which is old school, limited thinking, and it's going to stunt your growth. Well, you create an environment where people feel comfortable making mistakes. And then when they make them, they're not going to hide them from you because right. the alternative is is awful. It'll kill your whole business if uh, if that's what's happening. So 
you know, obviously you've had a lot of success, but let's talk about this restaurant venture um, that you ended up doing and talk to us about what you learned through that experience. You know, so uh, that was a venture I went into and I backed some individuals and I didn't pay as much attention to it as I should have. And I just kind of took a couple of people and let them do their thing. I put up all the money and uh, some bad decisions were made and, you know, I lost a bunch of money. And, you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, failure is not an option. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And what I learned through that process, that was the first big failure I ever had. So I've had a couple of businesses that went really well and a couple that didn't go so great, but that one was just a bomb. And I mean, it was a lot of money that I lost. It was my money. And, um, you know, and I had a restaurant background. I mean, I know what I'm doing. I'd worked with a corporate restaurant and I was a regional manager and I had 10 restaurants underneath me. So, you know, before I started wow. my company in 1997. So it's been a little more than 20 years. It's been since 1997 that I started that construction company and I've been self-employed ever since. But prior to that, it was Navy, uh, construction jobs and restaurant jobs. And, um, so what happened was I just trusted a couple of people because they came from a big corporation and what I, didn't take into account was they were managers, not leaders, not entrepreneurs. And Mm. I put a couple of people Mm. that had a dream in a position that they weren't equipped for. So they always wanted to be entrepreneurs. Mm. They always wanted to have their own restaurant. I love to help people. You know, I love to help people grow. I love to put, you know, that's why I got involved in so many companies over my career was to help people reach their dreams. But these guys never started anything. They never did anything other than have a job. And it's a very different thing working for a huge, you know, billion dollar restaurant company that has these, you know, hundreds of restaurants and these systems and being an entrepreneur and starting a restaurant. Uh, You know, so that Mm -hmm. was a huge mistake. And that was probably one of my biggest failures. And when I made the decision to close the restaurant, I remember the day and I went up on my birthday, closed that restaurant, gave away all the food we had left. And I mean, I told them we were closing, but it was on my birthday I decided to pull the plug and it was the first time that I ever like quit on anything like that. You know, if you want to call it quitting, I mean, you got to know when, when to fold sometimes, yeah. right? You got to know when to walk away. Sometimes you just, you just plug the hole and you keep going and it's part of business, you know, you just start over. And, uh, but I, for that was the first time I ever had to do that with a company or a business in my career. So it was huge because everything prior to that point that I had touched had become very successful. So, uh, you know, that was a tough one. And what was going through your head at that moment on your birthday when you decided that, hey, I've never quit anything before. I've never folded, even though now's maybe the time to fold. What was going through your head when you walked in there and decided to shut it down? So I'm not a quitter. You know, I don't give up. I don't quit. I'm like a pit bull. You know, I'm going to latch on until you kill me. And, um, you know, so it was the struggle between being wise and being prudent and knowing when to walk away and reconciling that with being a quitter. So I've got that in me. I'm a fighter, man. I, I go, go, go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the most talented guy in the world, but man, I'm going to outwork you and I am not going to quit, you know, so no matter what it takes. And um, so I have that whatever it takes, morally, legally, and ethically, whatever it takes to be successful, make it work. Failure is not an option, you know, so that's, that's me. So to, to, it's some, so in business, sometimes, you know, businesses just don't work, right? It's like venture capital, man. I mean, 70% of what they invest in never works. So what I had to understand was everything doesn't have to work. Sometimes you have lessons that are more valuable in failure and, you know, and they're a hundred times more valuable than anything you'll ever have in success. You learn way more from your challenges, your struggles and your failures than you'll ever learn from success. So sometimes you have to go through things 
to get you to the next level. So that was my first instrumental understanding of all those cliches, right? Failing forward, you know, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. It's one thing to read it and talk about it. It's another thing to face it and reconcile a nature of a fighter, of a champion, of a never give up attitude with, man, I got to walk away from this thing before it kills me. You know, so that was the first time I ever had to, had to do that. And uh, it took me a while to reconcile yeah. that, you know. It's a big moment to be able to not let that attach to your identity that you quit, that you shut down on something when it's so strong within you to yeah. never give up, even though it's exactly the right thing to do in that situation. And, you know, it was this decision you had to make. So looking at that, when you're working with young entrepreneurs, specifically young in the sense that they don't have experience, they haven't done that before. What would have you done differently to cap the downside in investing in those people uh, or a you know a different group of entrepreneurs that were brand new? Um, or would have you just not invested in people who hadn't done entrepreneurship on their own? That's it right there. So the in my career, the biggest mistakes I ever made were putting people in positions that that weren't ready for it and didn't come to me and say, I want this. So when it comes to a business, the businesses that I invested in, that I partnered with, and that I, that I do now, um, you know, equity capital with and things like that, it's either somebody who already has a business going or somebody who comes to me and says, hey, I want to do this thing versus me going to somebody else and saying, hey, I think you can do this. So the best mm-hmm. people that I've ever worked with in my companies and in any of my other businesses were the ones that came to me and said, I want to do this thing. So that's what I look for. So for young people... Um, you know, it's that desire, it's that, you know, that innate desire to want to go do something like me. You know, when I want to start a business, I just went and start a business. You know, if I want to start a business now, I just go do yeah. it. And then I seek out the other parts and pieces. Now, that aside, there's obviously people that you can seek out that have experience that you can learn from, things like that. But from me personally, I will not invest in a company or an operator that did not come to me and that is not, you know, put together and willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen, um, you know, or until I'm comfortable that they're solid operators. So, uh, you know, promoting people too fast that weren't ready or weren't qualified, you know, that was a huge mistake just because I saw potential in them and I liked them and I wanted to help them, but people aren't always ready, you know, for the next level. It's, it, it's awful when that happens because you have these people in your life that you, I mean, you have love for them, you know, you care about them, you want them to succeed, you see the potential and you keep giving them the opportunity. But if they don't take it on their own, if they didn't want that, you know, you can't force it. I've had a, a number of people that, you know, I still care about to this day, but letting them go was a really tough thing to do. But frankly, I should have done it a lot earlier only because they didn't really want it as badly as they needed to want it to to succeed. And so for all those people out there that are listening, all all of our young entrepreneurial folks, don't let this be a limiting belief. If you heard what Greg said, it's he's not going to invest in somebody who doesn't want it on their own. So if you have that burning desire within yourself, you can find people who will invest in you, who you can learn from, who you can work for, um, but you just need to be bringing it. He's just not going to be handing those kind of things out. And I think that's really strong. And I know I'm going to take that advice uh, when I'm looking at putting people into positions of leadership, that they have to really want it on their own and not me trying to convince them that it's a good idea for them. Yeah, and show you how they prepared for it. What are they doing to take action? How committed are they to it? So those are the things that you look for is just that commitment. You know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes morally, legally, ethically to make this happen. And those those other people, you know, didn't have it. And then you, you touched on it too. You know, a lot of people have, tr- have trouble 
you know, firing people. Now you want to hire better so that you don't have to fire, but you're going to face those issues. And it's always better to, you know, you've heard, you know, hire, uh, you know, hire fast and fire quicker, you know, that kind of thing as you're growing and you're starting out. You know, you want to be really careful who you hire, listen to those gut instincts. And if something's not right, you know, you always have that probationary period, take care of it quick. It's always better to take care of it quick. If you tell people, hey, this is a trial basis, we're going to find out if you're a good fit for us. If we're a good fit for you, we're going to know real quick. And if you find out along the way that it's not, you're better off taking care of it first and foremost. I know it's difficult, but you just take the personal out of it and you just say, hey, this just isn't a good fit. We're going to go our separate ways. Thank you. I appreciate it. And you just let them go. Um, and then you also, you know, the quicker you do that, the better. And then you also need to understand that some people don't want to advance. Some people are fine just doing what they do. And I mean, you need your, you know, you need your line workers, you need your managers. And then there's people that are executives, mm-hmm. right? Everybody has their comfort level. Everybody has their goals. Now people might say, I want this or I want that. People might say, I want to be rich. But if they really did, they would do something to start making that happen. Pour into themselves, develop themselves, work harder, work later, work, you know, they'll do something. But if somebody says, I want to be this, and then they are the last, you know, they're the last one in and the first one out, and, you know, they're not doing anything to improve themselves, that's, that's an inclina- you know, indication that they're not serious. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff there. Very good stuff. So in an industry that's pretty challenging, and obviously you've, you, you have multiple companies in multiple different industries, why do you think you've succeeded when so many others haven't? You know, business is hard. No matter what business you're in, business is hard, right? You're talking about dollars. And people are funny when it comes to money. People are funny when it comes to property. So for me, it's number one, understanding people, developing myself, pouring into myself, educating myself, learning as much as I can. Number one, I'm a lifelong learner, seeker of wisdom, always have been. Um, Number two, it's trying to understand other people and where they're coming from. And, you know, I guess probably the third thing is knowing that I don't know anything. So the more I learn, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know, right? It's like railroad tracks. You, you're standing on the railroad tracks and you can see so far. You walk to that point and you can see even further. And you're like, man, you walk to the next point. So, and, and you know, something may look daunting and difficult initially, but then once you tackle it, you're like, wow, that wasn't bad. And then it's the momentum and you go. So knowing, I don't want to say knowing my limitations, but understanding my limitations, knowing that I don't know anything and uh, knowing that none of us are as smart as all of us. Uh, you know, so that's, that's mm-hmm. mentors, that's your team, that's you know, everybody of the collective wisdom of the many, not the limited wisdom of the few. So those are the types of things that I've carried throughout my career that have helped me make good decisions, take the personality out of it, take the personal side out of it, the emotional side out of it, and look at the facts. What's going on? What do we need to do? And let's make a, a rational, non-emotional decision about how to move forward, how do we grow, how do we do this, what do we, how do we handle this situation? Because it's just, man, business is hard. Every single day, you got tough decisions you have to make. The other thing is understanding is that if you're the owner, if you're the entrepreneur, if you're the boss, that's a lonely spot. You have to make the tough decisions, and you got to make them quick, and you got to stand by your mm-hmm. decisions. Don't second guess your decisions. You know, um, you know, you never show weakness in front of your team. You never show vulnerability in front mm-hmm. of your team. You are the leader. You know, so, uh, you know, I've always had a good relationship with my people, but I'm not at their house on the weekends. I'm not going out to dinner with them. I'm not hanging out with them. I've always kept that line between me and the employees. I'm the boss. I'm the leader. I'm the entrepreneur, not the boss. You know, I don't boss people, but I'm the leader. So really it's about leading. 
and what a leader really is. So I developed myself as a leader. That's one of the big differences. And a leader is a servant. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, I wasn't the boss. You know, I wasn't, I'm in charge. I always flipped that pyramid upside down. So instead of having the CEO at the top and then everybody underneath and then, you know, the lower level, I flipped it upside down where I'm at the bottom of that organization. My job is to serve everybody in that organization, give them tools, training systems, and support to be successful, clear direction, and no uncertain terms exactly what's expected and when, and then have accountability to those goals, measure the behavior, measure the performance, and hold them accountable. And then praise great performance in public, reward uh, uh, bad performance or, or redirect bad performance in private, goal setting, never reprimand in terms of yelling or screaming, mm-hmm. but sit somebody down and say, hey, we didn't get the outcome, Stephen. You know, we didn't get the outcome we were looking for. You didn't reach your goal. Tell me what happened, and then you're going to tell me, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to say, okay, yeah. How are you going to fix that? What are you going to do moving forward? And you're going to tell me. I don't need to. You already know you messed up, right? You're beating yourself up. Most people are way harder on themselves than you can ever be. So just understanding that, yeah. having compassion for the individual. But hey, we're not going to go out and have a beer afterwards or go have steak. But I am going to have compassion for you and understand mm-hmm. you, and I'm going to hear about your kids and all that. And I'm going to be interested in your life, but we're not hanging out. We're not, you know, uh, that kind of uh-huh. thing. So it's, it's, it's a lot of that. But I guess first and foremost, developing myself as a leader and wanting to be a great leader to serve others, not to boost my own ego or to launch my own career or to put myself Absolutely. on some pedestal. I love serving people. Yeah. So you're serving people and you're drawing a fine line so that you can be in the best position to serve them. Because sometimes if you get caught up emotionally with people on your team, that it can, it can, it can screw up your judgment. It can make it hard to make some of those hard decisions. And I think that's something, you know, I, I really, I'm definitely going to take away because I feel like I've been in that position before where I felt like these people are my friend, but I have to make a decision not as a friend, but as a leader. And I've held myself back from making those decisions. Um, so I guess a little more experience will, uh, will guide me down the yeah. right path on that front. So on, uh, from a habits perspective, talk to me about what are some of your keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that help you lead to your success. You know, so constantly, again, constantly pouring into myself, you know, my iPhone. So back in the day, it was books on tape, you know, books on CD. Then it was the 80 gig iPod. And now it's iPhone, never any music ever. Uh-huh. It's always been books, courses, self-development, professional development, you know, all those types of things. So that's what I pour into myself. So it's watching what input you put in yourself. I mean, it's unbelievable the impact that what you listen to, what you read, what you do, what you watch. So that's one thing, developing myself, pouring into myself. Exercise has always been huge, you know, being physical, being active, um, you know, working hard and, you know, just grinding it out that no matter what happens, staying positive, looking for the bright side of things, understanding the negative, and, and being ready for that, but always being positive, looking for the opportunities. Wherever there's a problem, there's an opportunity. You know, we solve problems. The money is in solving problems. If you look at all of the wealth in the world today, it's because they're solving problems, right? Facebook, Amazon, you know, Uber, mm-hmm. right? All of the wealth is being created by solving problems. So welcome problems because that's where there's an opportunity, an opportunity to learn, grow, you know, create a business. You know, that's what you want to seek to do, serving others. Um, So my daily habits are pouring into myself. Obviously, I have a faith, you know, so my faith is very important. But pouring into myself, surrounding myself with the right people. I'm always looking for people better and smarter than me. Not only my my mentors and network of friends, but also in my company. So a lot of people are intimidated to hire people better and smarter than them. I seek out people way Mm -hmm. better and smarter than me. 
and I listen to them and I learn from them and I let them do their job. So I've never been threatened by anybody who's better than me at anything. I seek them out. You know, when I'm out recreationally and I'm playing sports, I want somebody who can whoop my tail every time so I can learn and get better. You know, I don't want to go play people that I can Mm -hmm. beat all the time. So in your company, hire the best you can find. If you want to grow your company and scale it fast, go to your biggest, best competitor, hire their best people and learn from them. Yield to them uh, in terms of what they know and how to, how to do things. That's how I got started. Uh, and then surround yourself in your network. You know, you've heard the thing, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That's absolutely true. You mm-hmm. want to be hanging out with people that are 10 times or better where you are, you know, not only just financially, but just in a lot of different areas, quality people that are going to lift you up you know, that, that, you know, that are going to help you excel. And then at the same token, you can, you know, help them. Um, so those are, those are just some of the things that I do that, that keeps me moving forward, but I'm just wired, man. I just, I just wake up, I hit it and get it and I don't stop. You know, I just, I'm just, you know, <laughs> hopelessly optimistic. <laughs> what do you, uh, yeah. What do you do to wind down at the end of the day? Uh, you know, I mean the same thing, man, I read, I, I, you know, I exercise in the evenings, you know, um, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, it's just, I love what I do. So there is no, to me, it's not nine to five. It's not, you know, it's not this thing where I got to go yeah. home and wind down. I mean, I'm just always, I just do what I do. It's just me. I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm, you know, I just hang out with the family and just, you know, go through the day. I mean, I don't, I don't have to sit down and have a glass of wine or anything like that or go to the bar. I mean, you know, sure. every day to me is just a day. You know, I don't, Monday's no different than Friday's, no yeah. different than Sunday. Other than I do love Mondays because it's the start of the week for a lot of people. So, you know, I have this whole thing, just, man, embrace Monday, start strong, finish strong, hit it and get it. You know, uh, weekends, you know, uh, play hard, get out there, make it a great weekend, you know, whatever it is you're doing. You know, when you take your time, make it quality time. So, but to me, there's no grind. I mean, I just love what I do. Sure, I can see that. So we've made it to one of my favorite parts of the show, the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. Um, tell us what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? You know, obviously the Bible, everybody's, you know, if you have a faith, you're going to say that, but early on it was rich dad, poor dad. Um, a lot of people got real estate investing from that book. What I got was build companies that produce cash flow to invest in other assets to pay for your lifestyle. So that's what I took away from that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And that's why I started so many companies and did what I did. Then there was, mm-hmm. uh, the power of positive thinking, and then there was Think and Grow Rich. So those were the cornerstones of me saying, this is it. I'm going to go I'm gonna go after my dream. And I started my first mm-hmm. company, 1997, and I've been self-employed ever since. Never had to look back. Um, these days... Lay that days, foundation. Huh? I said lay that foundation. Yeah. Exactly. So those were the basics. You know, there's a lot of great books out there these days. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reading a bunch of different great books. You know, I read Principles by Ray Dalio, great book. Um, I read one called Positivity by Harry Edelson. Mm-hmm. It's all about living a um, happy, fulfilled life where there is no backlog in your life. You take care of things now, mm-hmm. you get things done now. Harry Edelson was the most quoted guy on Wall Street at one time. He's created 12, uh, 12 unicorns, which are companies that sold for or were valued at a billion dollars, uh, venture capitalist. Wow. So very serious individual. Go look him up. Harry Edelson, um, Positivity, unbelievable book. Uh, in terms of, you know, and that's how I operate. I have zero backlog in my life. I don't put off anything today for tomorrow that I can knock out right now. Everything. My email yep. inbox is clear. You know, my desk is clear. I take care of it right now. That's great. From an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors, the people you learn from and uh, were inspired by, and how do they influence your career? 
you know, I have a lot of great mentors, you know, that uh, in my personal life that are all business, you know, entrepreneurs at different levels. Some are in companies, some are developers. And I mean, they're pretty strong. I've got guys that are 500 million to a billion that personally mentor me. Uh, and we have that kind of a relationship that I can pick up the phone, you know, anytime. Um, and different industries, you know, one was a uh, Dollar General guy, founder of Dollar General. Um, he's, mm-hmm. he's been an unbelievable, you know, guy to, to talk to. Um, you know, so... Uh, Kurt Richardson with Otterbox. I had a great conversation with him, you know, one time he's been, you know, he gave me some great lessons and, you know, he's an unbelievable guy. And, uh, and then the books. So every book I read is a mentor. So, you know, if you don't have people Uh in your life, there's books and those have been my mentors. So all the way back to Napoleon Hill, you know, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, you know, all the, all the greats, right? Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, you know, all of those guys in that area. Then like Sam Zell in real estate, Donald Trump, whether you love him or hate him, understanding what he's done in real estate and how he, how he managed through bankruptcy and all those things. Um, Uh you you know, uh, there's just, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, Warren Buffett's a great guy to learn Mm -hmm. from, you know, um, Bill Gates and what he's done. There's so many. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying there's so many great people out there. It's just, you don't need to necessarily know the people for them to be mentors, right? Yeah. So even just listening to you on this podcast right now, you're a mentor to so many people. Yeah. The billionaires that I know, those those now those were great conversations with those guys like Kurt Richardson. He said, man, I can tell you about a time when I was all but bankrupt. I was bankrupt all but for signing the paper. He said, I went down on my knees in my garage and I prayed. I got up and I went back to work. He said, I closed that company. I was a million dollars in debt. Fast forward now 20 years. He's, you know, he's a billionaire, has his own jet. And, you know, he's laughing about it, right? And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't funny back then, was yeah. it? He's like, no. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. Well, finally, in closing, uh, from a purpose perspective, what drives you to live your best life every day? Finding untapped potential and helping people recognize it, realize it, and reach their God-given talent, the reason they were put on this earth. That tickles me and always has more than anything else that I do, any, more, any money I can make, any business deals I can do. It's... It's when that light bulb goes off in an individual and they're like, I get it. Now I know what I was made to do. And not only that, I know I can do it. And not only that, I'm doing it, right? So Mm. those levels of taking an individual from scratch to where they were ultimately meant to be and get on that path that they were created to do, that fills me and tickles me more than anything else, man. I love developing people. That's that's so awesome. That's so awesome. Well, you've inspired me today and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for sharing so much of yourself with our audience. Where can people find out more about you and get in touch? Yeah, gregdickerson.com is my website. So I've got a YouTube channel. I'm doing video content every day. And you know, I've got a podcast where I put it up there. It's short, sweet, uh, just little nuggets, you know, and little things here and there. So gregdickerson.com. If there's anything you'd like to see me make a video on or any question or anything, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can email me and, you know, we can set up some time and, and uh, would love to hear some feedback and hear what people are interested in learning about. Awesome. And he truly means it. So I'll, we'll put links to all of that stuff in the, uh, in the show notes here. And uh, again, thank you so much. And I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Yeah, Stephen, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 